Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. And welcome to the 37th edition of the Ski Podcast. The summer solstice is upon us, which officially means we can use hashtag winter is coming. I know you're going to be in. Um, I am Jim Duncan, recording from the Alps, but it wouldn't be the Ski Pod without Ian. Uh, hi, Ian. You are in London with a fellow podcaster. What are you doing there and who are you with? That's true. I've come up to London today and we are uh, in the studio for the uh, first time. Uh, we're in the studios of Muddy Knees uh, Media in uh, Soho. And to get, today we've got a guest. We've got uh, Ed Drake uh, with us. Hi, Ed. Thank you for having me. We're going to be having a chat with him a little later on about uh, his experiences as a, an Olympian. And uh, he also runs a podcast, which we're going to mention, and uh, get his views on uh, Team GB. Also, coming up in today's podcast, we'll be chatting um, with Ed all about that, as Ian says. Uh, and Ian's going to be chatting to a man who's been skiing in Georgia, and I'll be finding out um, a bit more about chalet holidays and their decline. Plus, there's our usual genial chat. Uh, remember, if you are a first-time listener and you have enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favourite <laughs> podcasting app. Um, so, first of all, I'm going to say Piston Bully, the Peace Groomer manufacturer, is 50 years old this year. Um, as, as old as you, right, Ian? You share a birthday with them, maybe? Close, yeah. Close. Um, to celebrate, they're selling off 50 second-hand Peace Bashers at a cutthroat price, which is handy, as I searched on eBay and Gumtree every day, and one never comes up. Ian, which one of those Peace Bashers do you have your eye on? Well, I did look at the list, and... Uh... Don't know if you've seen this, Ed. They kind of range from €28,000, uh, which seems like a reasonable bargain if you're in the uh, market for uh, a peace basher. We, I don't know if you remember, back in episode six, 17, we talked about buying a ski resort, and it would be pretty important if you did that. But what I think you should do, Jim, is you should get one of these and then use it on the school run, because you do live in a ski resort. Surely you can just drive in that peace basher up to the school and drop your kids off. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, I'm quite attracted to the Piston Bully 600 Polar Edition, uh, mainly because of its 360-degree, 4.6-tonne winch with a 1,500cc teledrive. I don't know what any of that means. Um, um, yeah, but we're good to drive uh, one to school. It would save me waiting for the man to clear the road before I leave my house. Um, I've been up in a... I've been in a Peace Basher once, but I'm interested... To, Ed, have you ever been in a Peace Basher up a hill? Uh, I've been in, in a couple of peace bashers, and I've also sat on the uh, the sort of bucket bit at the front of a peace basher, which is quite uh, quite fun because some of the ski resorts where we would train when I was competing, um, you'd have to you'd only be able to access by peace bashers. So they used to sort of tilt the bucket upwards at the front, you know, the sort of plough bit, and you'd sort of lean back against there and and uh, and hold on for dear life and hope that you didn't fall off and then get turned into a piece yourself. 
that is exactly how the ski run, the school, the school run should be done. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy one here. I think I've got my eye on one of the, you know, mid-range ones. Um, Ian, you've got some news from our past sponsors. Uh, is that in relation to our indoor snow centre electricity thieves? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, these guys snuck into uh, the snow centre. Uh, overnight, I think they're like YouTubers, aren't they? And they were trying to kind of get some uh, material. And they got caught, and they have been, um, well, taken to court, essentially, for um, for stealing electricity. I'm not sure it was our past sponsors, though. I think it was actually Snow Zone in Milton Keynes. No, it's definitely the Manchester one. I watched the video very recently. Uh, it's a kid called Ali Law who did it. And they snuck in, and they hid in the fake roofs um, of the toilets and they waited and it got to two o'clock in the morning they wanted to go skiing um although they didn't actually go skiing they were rubbish um and they came out at two o'clock because they'd been waiting for so long for the cleaners to leave apparently the cleaners don't leave till seven and then they managed this elaborate blag where they told them that they were actually filming some sort of promo video and off they went skiing so it was actually the cleaners that let them onto the slopes here's the most ridiculous thing though they didn't bother turning the lift on they walked up every time Okay, so how much electricity do you think they stole during the time they're in there? They just had the lights uh, on, right? Well, yes, yeah, a big place to light up. I'd imagine they stole quite a lot of electricity, more than say my thirty-watt bulb that I've got on now. Yeah, well, they've got forty hours of uh, community service for that, which I think seems a little harsh for for all that ingenuity. You, you watch a video; is it gone viral? Are there thousands and thousands of of hits? Yeah, there's quite a lot, something like 35,000. They've got 2 million YouTube subscribers. Ali Law, if you want to search for him, they do a lot of other stuff. I'm not going to say it's cool, but I was quite impressed by it. Well, we'll put a link into the show notes. Um, Ian, I was in Chamonix the other day, and uh, I noted that the um, Agordomidi is €60 to get up there. Um, Also, if you go the other size... Um, the Skyway, the new one from Champaluc is about 60 euros as well so it's quite expensive to get up there and I was thinking how could I possibly avoid this fee of going to the top of the Aguadamidi and maybe onto Mont Blanc any ideas? Well, funny you should say that uh, because um, just recently uh, earlier this week a couple of Swiss climbers got in trouble for landing a plane on Mont Blanc at around 4,400 metres which uh, you know, apparently, they don't know what law they've broken. Apparently, they they've certainly been offended a lot of people, and the uh, the local police intercepted them on the way to the top because they they landed their plane and then went the extra four hundred meters to go to the top of Mont Blanc, which sounds like a very kind of Benny Hill kind of scenario. I imagine these police chasing after them to try and stop them. But I think you know, surely if you can land a plane at four thousand four hundred meters, that in itself is is pretty impressive. If you can land that plane, why didn't they land on the top? Why were they messing around and then having to walk the extra 500 metres? Straight to the top, that would have been way better. Maybe there's a more expensive landing fee if you go to the top and then it would have been cheaper to get Well, heli skiing is banned uh, in Chamonix and I think they're probably thinking, oh, it's an offence to the environment was the quote I saw from the uh, from the mayor there. But uh, effectively, they've, they've got round it. But if they were proper climbers, they would they would climb um, you know, from from lower down. It does fit in. I don't know if you saw that Chamonix have recently introduced they're going to have a fine for up to €300,000 if you don't book a refuge on your way to the summit because what they're trying to do is to avoid... You know that picture? You must have seen that picture recently from Everest. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. 
exactly yeah. that massive you know queue of people going up to Everest and apparently Mont Blanc is getting you know overpopulated in summer as well so they're really trying to almost discourage people from going to the summit whether they walk or go by plane by limiting what the the amount of spaces that are available for yeah. people to stay so then you can't overpopulate the mountain yeah That's... yeah exactly so you think these guys are trying to avoid their uh, avoid a fine and uh, I don't know maybe get in and out really quickly and failed I'm going to say I, I'm going to say it hasn't actually happened because I've not seen a single photo on the internet about it. And has, has it actually happened if it's not been on social media? There's no pictures of the plane up there. Suspicious. I did search around uh, a little bit more, but I couldn't find uh, anything else. Uh, but you were in Chamonix last last week, were you? Um, two weeks ago. Two weeks. And did you go up the Agui de Midi? No, I had a I had a meeting. I sent my um, parent, my um, my in-laws, up to the Mer de Glace um, to have a look at it. And I haven't been up there for fifteen years. And they went up and they said we didn't really see much of it. It's um, disappeared a lot since you must have last been up there. Fran, my wife, went with them and showed me the picture. And you know, I knew that glaciers were retreating, but I'm so surprised about the extent that it has retreated in the last fifteen years. It's devastating. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that. Um... That's a fact, uh, um, unless uh, you're Donald Trump listening to this podcast, or maybe you should listen to that. Uh, it is a fact. Uh, just thinking about Chamonix, uh, Ed, you used to race uh, for, for Team GB. Did you ever race in Chamonix? Yeah, I raced the Lazouche um, downhill, or the Chamonix downhill, which is mostly out of Lazouche. Is it actually called the Kandahar? It is, one? yes. Do you have any idea why it's called the Kandahar when it's in Chamonix? No, I mean I could make something up, but no, I can't remember. <laughs> something to do with the Kandahar Ski Club and so, Arnold Lunn yeah. and this and that. But you raced a, a downhill for for Great Britain, and you went to Vancouver Olympics. Yeah, Vancouver Games. Yeah, which just seems like yesterday, but actually it's now quite a long time ago. <laughs> when was 2010. that? Twenty ten. 2010. Yeah. Right. Okay. And now are you doing commentary on downhill for Eurosport? Yeah, for Eurosport mostly. I did a bit of work for the BBC with the Olympic Games, but mostly winters are taken up with Eurosport commentating for most of the Alpine stuff. It's not just downhill from giant slalom, slalom. The whole lot. Yeah, okay. Alpine so, and do you cover kind of every race, every fifth yep. race, do yep. you? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, or every World Cup. So, Eurosport covers every World Cup. And then I share my role, my co commentator's expert role with. Uh, Finley Mickle, another former downhill racer. Yeah, sort of I remember Finley sort of... Mickle. He's maybe a bit older than you, is that yeah, right? Yeah, he's, um, he's quite a lot older than me, for this <laughs> um, Yeah, he's a few years older than I am. Uh, and so right. we share that role, which is it's, it's really fun. It's nice to sort of still be involved in skiing um, in some form or another. Yeah, and you... Um do that commentary from a studio or are you out there in the Alps? Uh, most of the time, unfortunately, it is from the studio. So it's from a relatively small booth. Um, sometimes we get to go away, but as is the case with everything at the moment, it's uh, budgets and uh, money is the case when it comes to not being allowed out onto the piece. So we do get to go out occasionally, but yes, yeah, becoming a bit few and far between, which is a bit of a shame. And you... Um have something in common with Jim and myself uh, in that you run your own podcast uh, yeah. as well, which uh, I think we've mentioned on the show before. It's the Ski Racing Podcast. What what inspired you to, to put that together? Um, well, I just, I mean, I'm obviously a huge 
fan of skiing in general, but also obviously more a bit more specifically racing. And there's nothing that's been out there that's consistently about the World Cup scene. And so I thought that, you know, there's plenty of races in the UK, as we'll, we'll, we'll come on to later on, but there's plenty of races around and people are hungry for that sort of insight. Obviously, listening to commentary or watching it on TV yourself, like you can take it in, but having we tend to have a panel of sort of three to four of us, depending on people's schedules and try and get people in, just have a, a discussion about what's happened, maybe the ins and outs, like the little details that you might not have seen any games that going on. So just try to keep and is this, uh, you know, my, my uh, knowledge of racing is reasonable <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, and believe it or not, I'm our, our go-to guy for Team GB, but normally I'm just finding out, you know, where they finished in different races. And we know that, um, you know, Dave Riding is obviously, you know, outperforming, let's say, for a British uh, skier. But who are the other sort of talents who we might want to watch for coming through to to be- the Beijing games, uh, you know, down the line? For GB? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've got quite a few youngsters coming up. The Europa Cup men's circuit is going quite well with Charlie Raposo. He's been skiing well in giant slalom. Yet to make that second run, because only the top 30 in World Cup um, technical disciplines get a second run, and Charlie's just missed out a couple of times on that. But he's knocking on the door, uh, and Charlie Guest, who's won a Europa Cup at the end of last season, she's really starting to push onto World Cup and sort of challenging the British establishment if you know Charlie Guest and Dave Riding Laurie Taylor sort of in and out between Europa yeah. Cup and World Cup so there's quite a few youngsters yeah. coming in and actually it looks great I think actually the um the sort of building blocks of British skiing are starting to get back okay. to where they need to be. Now, obviously, we're talking about alpine skiing uh, here as opposed to the freestyle you know, side of things where we've picked up various medals. But you mentioned Laurie uh, Taylor. Uh, is Laurie Taylor racing next season? Yeah. 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 Okay. I was just looking at the uh, the list I have in front of me here of different people doing things. We mentioned him before because I think Jim spotted it initially. He's got a great YouTube channel where he's been doing some behind the scenes kind of stuff. Yeah, I think he's really into all that media side of things, which is I, I think it's quite. If you're interested in racing, it's quite nice because it does show you their day to day. Obviously, we only see it on the telly. The, them doing their actual race runs and it's kind of nice to see. And for people that don't know what a day in of uh, World Cup race is like. Yeah. Um, in episode 36, that's our last episode, we mentioned, or I mentioned in my, in my roundup, that there were a lot of uh, skiers in the kind of fist squad, which is like the development squad, essentially, who are British. I don't know if you saw my, <laughs> my fingers there going, oh, they're British. Uh, but they're obviously based you know, in Europe or in uh, America. I mean, I, I'm looking at the list in front of me now. There's a couple of uh, brothers who are based in Vermont, someone in Saint-Martin, someone in Villar in Switzerland, um, someone else in, it just says, Yoke Savoie, Zalamze, etc. And I was wondering if we wondered at the time in episode 36 whether this is part of um, Team GB or GB Snowsports, part of their strategy to try and, get more medals you know are they talent spotting uh, you know british kids who might have dual nationality uh, you know overseas and bringing them in i think i'm not sure if they're necessarily sort of going poaching if you like going out and trying to nabs and sort of snap somebody up but at the same time the state of british snow sports has not necessarily been that high standard of it behind the scenes in terms of like the pathways it's been a bit bear over the last few years and now that we're starting to get good programs in and we're attracting good coaches and there's more money around for the programs themselves these other athletes are thinking about whether now that this is a 
a proper program where I could benefit from. Whereas before, if you'd had dual nationality, I mean, there's a, a great example of a, a French racer who races downhill alpine skiing, and he raced on the World Cup guy called Blaise Giesendana, who was uh, fourth, I think, in Pyeongchang in Super G a couple of years ago at the Olympics. And his mother is English, or Scottish, excuse me. And she, and, but he's, he went with the French team because we don't have a great speed setup anymore for Alpine. So he was choosing that. Whereas you, now you've got somebody like Charlotte Banks going, well, actually, the GB setup is as good as the French setup. So I'm actually going to utilize that. And I think it's just, I guess it's, it's, it's kind of a big deal for us that we are now producing programs where other guys yeah. and girls, nations, athletes are going, I actually quite like the look yeah, of that. Yeah, I mean, we interviewed uh, Charlotte Banks back in episode 25, uh, talking to her about that switch. And I think part of her motivation was the coach from the French team had moved and joined Team GB and that pulled her over. But are you saying there's something similar happening now on the Alpine side of things? Yeah, I think it's, like I said, I think it's just kudos to the programs that are in place because if 